what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. All right, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thanks again for listening. I appreciate the the comments and uh, people sharing and suggesting guests. And with me again is my uh, friend from Improv, Shivani Desai. And we had talked briefly at the end of episode one about her blog, which is um, just very insightful. A lot of your posts have resonated with me. And I wanted to step away from improv a little bit and kind of go into the blog and your motivations behind it and some of the content in there, because like I said, I think it's really cool. And with that, Shivani, welcome back. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is exciting. It's the first time I'm really like diving into it and talking about it. So I'm Good excited. deal. Yeah. Good deal. So it's impressionista.me and I'll mm-hmm. post a link into that. But yeah. what got you started um, blogging and what was your first, what was your first concept that kind of had to get out? So, um, the actual blog, so like the impressionista.me, I'd started years ago um, with the intention of, um, this was back when I was still working and, and I just had my first kid and I, um, it was meant to be housed like, oh, I'll write funny like anecdotes and I'll, I'll post videos of me doing impressions and stuff like that. Like that was, that's why it was called impressionista.me. I think I got the, um, I got the inspiration uh, TJ Maxx had their campaign going, you're a fashionista. And oh. I was like, I don't know why. I just like was like, I like that. I like that Easter thing. And so I was like, oh, impressionista is kind of funny. What, um, is, what is your best impression to derail just for a second? Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. And I should have expected this question. The reason I think it went nowhere is because I do impressions of people in my own life. So okay. it wouldn't really translate unless you know the person. So like I do a great impression of my mom, but unless you don't, you know, I, I, and I'm like going, I remember creating that and being like, all right, I really should work on like some celebrity impressions. Um, but I really don't. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I don't have any great celebrity impressions, but I like my manager um, at the bookstore I worked for back in college. I nailed that guy, but I couldn't. They're famous in your world. They're famous in my world. Um, So (laughs) yeah, that was a little bit of a, you know, a gap with my reasoning there. But, um, but anyway, yeah, it was, I was just, um, I wanted to dive into freelance writing. And that was sort of like, after I I turned 40 last September. September what? 26th. On the 11th. Oh, okay, cool. Um, is that your Virgo then, right? Yes. Okay. Recovering Virgo, I Recovering like to say. Recovering Virgo. Oh. We'll get to that. Okay, oh, sorry, yeah, I keep yeah. interrupting you. So I'm sorry. a Libra. I was just throwing, yeah. So, um, you know, I, it's just not to be cliche, but it's like I turned 40 and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Am I on the right path? And, um, you know, I dive into this in the blog as well. And, and I've talked to many friends about this, but, you know, staying home um and not having a regular income is just something I could not wrap my head around. It, it, I haven't been able to since I decided to stay at home and back in you know, 2015. Um, and yeah, it's always been a part of me that's just like been really frustrated. And I, I felt sort of trapped being like, oh, if I go back to a nine to five, um, it would be in a field where, um, so I was a merchandise planner for like 11 years and it, 
was a field that I fell into kind of and I didn't love. I was not good at it. So it was just like, that's what I have the experience. And so if I were to job search because I want to get an income again, right? Like I would have to be, I felt like, okay, well, I'd have to, you know, if I wanted to make a decent salary, I would have to go back into that field, even though I don't enjoy that field, even though I'd be doing it merely for the sake of like having an income, which, and then that would just bleed into other things like, oh, well, then if I'm working a full-time job, I'm also going to still be the primary with the kids in the house because my husband has a very demanding job. And that's how it was when we were, you know, when I was working full-time before when we had kids. And, um, you know, he's got the job that supports us. He's the breadwinner. So it's like, I can't, you know, expect him to not go on a business trip because, you know, I'm burnt out with my nine to five. So I knew, I knew what I'd gone through when I worked the nine to five beforehand. So it was just like, I was just frustrated. And I was like, okay, freelance writing. I just did all this research. I, and there's so much out there. In fact, like if there's anyone thinking about doing it, but like anything that's, um, you know, kind of your own, you're trying to start your own thing. It's, it's a hustle. Like, I mean, it is day and night. Like, there's so many tools out there to be a freelance writer, but you have to be prepared to be like on job boards for hours, probably upon hours, um, submitting, you know, uh, pitches or or writing pieces to all sorts of different places. And, and, you know, these are free job boards. So it's like, how many people are doing that? It's the, the competitive. <laughs> and then th- these are all the things I learned from, there was a really great, like, kind of a uh, whatever, like online video class that you could take about like everything to know about freelance writing. And they do, they tell you all the tools, but it's like, hey, you can pay, gosh, there's like a website you can pay a ton of money to where you would get very specific, you know, um, job job postings to like what you would want. But if you don't want to pay that, you then you're just a slave to these like job boards and you have to, and then, you know, they give you tips on like, oh, go to local businesses and try and like say, hey, you know, do you need website help? Do you need blog help for your website or, or your business? And pitch to them, um, write cold pitches for people. You know, it's just like, there's so many ways to do it. And I did start doing that. I was like, yeah, you know, I was, I do have friends who have, you know, maybe their own salon or, um, you know, so their own small businesses. And I know like they would, you know, we have good relationships, we work in comedy together or whatever it is. So I was doing that kind of stuff, but it's very, you know, for all the effort you put in, it's very, you know, it's, it's the, the chances of getting, um, a return on that will take a lot of time. And I was mentally prepared for that. I was like, you know what, that's, that's fine. Um, but I, one of the things I read in my research was, um, keep writing, like keep that, skill sharp, you know? And I was like, gosh, you know, I, I've written on and off for years. I'm always writing sketches. I love writing sketch comedy. I'm always get inspired by something. So my writing was eh, consistent, like loosely consistent, um, just with writing sketches and stuff like that. Every now and then I would write a short story, but there was never any kind of, um, consistency, like a regularity to it. So I was like, well, yeah, didn't I have a blog? Like, and then I looked at my Google account. I was like, oh yeah, there's like this link to my blog. And I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I totally forgot that I had this. I still have the domain. I still have it. And then I just, I, um, just in my life, you know, I go to the gym quite a bit. I make all the, I have all these great friends at the gym. 
I have a really good friend I've made in improv. She and I have bonded because um, we're both improv moms. We like to say we're both married with kids. And that's not very common to find in the improv world right now. Um, so she and I really bonded. And so just our conversations between, between all these friends of mine, uh, we would just hit on the same topic so many times. And especially the moms I meet at the gym, we're all, you know, stay-at-home moms, but we all had careers beforehand. We all have husbands who have demanding careers. Um, We all feel the same way where, what is our worth? Like, we know we're doing great things by raising our kids and supporting our husbands, but we don't feel like, for the most part, I shouldn't say all those these women, but for the most part, the women I spoke to just didn't feel like great about it. We were just kind of like, we're we're all waiting for our kids to get to a phase where we're like, okay, when can I come back to myself? You know, um, and so that's when I came. That's when I had this thought about the reluctant stay-at-home mom. And I think you and I talked about. I thought about doing it in a podcast form where I was like, um, you know, I creating a podcast where I talk about these thoughts. And so in preparation for that, I wrote out kind of like a script. I said, okay, well, let me just get these thoughts out about what it is to be, what I mean by a, stay, a reluctant stay-at-home mom, and then like what what all that entails. And so when I was writing that, I really liked writing it. I was like, oh my God. And it was like pouring out of me. Like it was like I couldn't get the words out fast enough. And I actually think I did record it and then um, my just – like zero, less than zero skills with like editing and all this stuff. Like I knew how to record it. I downloaded some kind of software to like edit it. But it was like, that was so intimidating to me where I was like, well, or I could just post it on this blog, which I'm much more savvy at, right? So so yeah, I kind of relaunched Impressionista with that first blog post and it was really scary. Um, you know, I was I was saying things that I really hadn't said to many people, I'd said it to the, you know, close knit friends of mine, but it was all the things I was feeling. It was just kind of like, you know, have I kind of, have I betrayed that inner feminist in me and become this, I don't know, like stereotypical or, or, or like whatever you want to call it, like traditional in the sense, like wife and mother, you know, taking care of my husband and my kids and um, putting dinner on the table, you know, all these things. That I think growing up, I was told, no, you shouldn't, ha-. you know, like I grew up in the 80s. I was a child of the 80s, like a teen of the of the 90s. You know, that's when I came to came of age. And yeah, I mean, you know, the message was very much like I think that the roles were shifting, you know, and I felt bad about feeling bad about it, you know, but I knew for me and that this was another hurdle I had to get over with writing um, and putting stuff like this out there. I didn't want people to think I was like trying to be an expert in this field or trying to be an expert on whatever I was writing about. And so I was very careful to be like, I need to I need to make it clear that, look, this is my story. Like this is just my feelings from my own experiences. I'm not telling anyone out there, um, you know, don't be a stay-at-home mom or don't, you know, don't give your husband this power or don't like, I, I wanted to be very careful with every post. I keep that in mind. I'm like, I don't want people to think I'm acting like an expert or I'm an all-knowing person. I just know what I know. And that's the whole thing, like write what you know. And so I, you know, that's something I had to keep reminding myself because I, as I was writing, I started thinking, I'm like, ah, this is getting too preachy or am I, am I trying to 
like steer am I trying to, you know, push an agenda or anything? And I was like, no, I really want it to just be like, this is my experience. Hey, you might be feeling the same way. And that was my approach. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was scary to put the first one out there. Um, but man, the response was so encouraging and it was very much like, and, and, and I always post it with, um, my thoughts on, usually I do. Um, so whenever I have a new post and I post it to Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram, it's always with my thoughts on, you know, whatever the, the topic is. Again, to reiterate that point, like going, these are my thoughts. This, this, this doesn't mean how, this is how you should feel. This doesn't mean that I'm trying to represent your experience. This is just my experience and my thoughts about it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's scary to put yourself out there. But I, the reaction I got from the Reluctant Stay-at-Home Mom, which is my original post, um, was so encouraging. And it was just like felt, like I felt this big relief because I kept getting messages. Um, a lot of times, you know, private messages even, um, but also posts on Facebook of women that were like, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, I feel the same way. Um, and that to me, like just made it all worth it. And then it was, it was so interesting. The more I wrote, um, and it wasn't, I I didn't even go into it being like, okay, every Tuesday, this is when I'm posting. I just happened to post that on a Tuesday. And I said, and then again, in that, that research I did about freelance writing, it was like, make sure you're consistent. If you start your own blog, make sure you're consistent. So people keep coming back, you know? And so I was like, okay, I know my I know my own tendency. I did it with the impressionista, the original thing that I was supposed to do. I abandoned it after like a week, you know. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I know what I do, and I'm not going to do it this time because I was just sick of these tendencies that I had had for so long, and I was trying to break that. And again, you know, I turned forty, and I was like, I know the ruts, I know them so well now, and I know um, these pitfalls of my personality and my, and my like kind of work ethic. And I, I just wanted, I was sick of it. You know, it was, it's, it got to this point where I was like, stop being, stop doubting yourself. Stop, um, you know, making every excuse to not do something because there's always going to be excuses, you know? Um, and yeah, it, it just kind of took on a life of its own in that sense where it was just like, I, I wrote that. I got a, a good response. Um, and then there was like other things. I was like, oh, yeah, I've been thinking about this, too. And I've been thinking about this, too. And it it, it just it, it was almost like a snowball effect where the more creative I was, my, I was opening my brain to be more creative, the more stuff that was falling in and like, oh, oh, yeah, I have thoughts about that. Oh, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've had those things in my head for so long. And, you know, so it was it was like exhilarating. I mean, I can't explain it any other way other than like, I was so, I'd been encouraged to write since I was literally since I was like in second or third grade, you know, I would just, you know, you'd write those little short stories or journal what you did, you know, over summer or something like that. And I always remember seeing the little comments like, oh my gosh, great imagery, Shivani, or keep writing or, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it would, it would happen through school. And it was just like, it was one of those things where I don't know why I just would tamp it down. I don't, I would write for myself. I journaled all the time. I was going to ask if you journaled. Yeah. You know, it, it became less and less as I got older, but that was my thing. Like I could not, I mean, (laughs) It was like that. She's like, oh, my gosh, this is the dear diary moment. But it would be like I remember like especially in eighth grade, eighth grade for me was like my big like I was like I journaled before that. But for whatever reason, that 
13-year-old year of my life was just that I every single day, I did not miss a day. I was just like journaling every day. And, you know, when you think about it, that's junior high. And that's when so many things are happening. That's when so many transitions are happening with friends and maturity level and puberty. Yep. I mean, there's just such a transitional time. And I feel so lucky that I, I mean, every night, and it, it, sometimes the entries would be half a page, but I would always make sure to just check in with my, that was like the check in with myself, you know, every night. Um, and so I, I got through, you know, a lot of difficult times just getting my feelings out. And even when I'd forget, like I would forget about journaling for a while, just get busy or just, you know, get lazy about it. I'd always come back to it if, if I was going through a really tough time, like in college when I was really unhappy and I, I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I was in this pre-law program and it was just all this stuff. And I, I had resorted to like, you know, kind of being a really bad student, not resorted to that. I mean, I was just, I was a bad student. Um, it wasn't like I made the decision, okay, I'm going to be a bad student. No, it was just kind of what happened. I quit. Yeah, no. And it was like very, um, whenever I've, I have felt lost in a sense, it could just be, I need to just write it out. It could just be one day of writing everything out or a few days or a week. Um, but it always, it like, it's, it's weird. It's like, it's just like this immediate, the weight lifting for me. Like it's just for me writing for whatever reason, just it gets it out there. Um, and it, and then like those periods of times where I've like forgotten about it and then I come back to, I'm like, Oh, Yes, yes, this has always been it. This has always been the good, the thing that I've needed to do to make myself feel better. You know, a good cry helps too, or, you know, maybe listening to some good, great, great music. But like writing for me, it was just, uh, it's always been that thing. And so when again, I gave myself permission to do it, um, I silenced not everything, but a lot of the thoughts in my head to not do it. Um, and just gave myself that freedom because one of the biggest things was always like, oh, what are people going to say? Or what, you know, well, people, this is so narcissistic where people are just like, oh, why do we care about what you think? You know, all these thoughts in my head. Um, and I'm thinking about the smallest faction of people, right? And I'm giving them so much power. <laughs> and, you know, and I've done that for so many things in my life, you know, and, uh, and yeah, it was just, I just, I don't know if 40 was that point where it was just like, I was so sick of it. I was just, I was like almost angry about it that I've given that so much power. You know, I'd gotten over it for, and like once I, you know, started improv and comedy in my early thirties, that was when I had silenced those voices about like, oh, people think I'm an idiot if I'm like trying to like do comedy. And now I'm like in my thirties, like how pathetic is that? You know, I would say all these things to me. And then, yeah, I just, I had, I had my first kid and I was just like, why am I, why do I care about what those people think? You know, and again, it's like one or two people, like very specific, specific people in my life that I could think of saying that. And I'm going, well, they're not perfect either. You know, why am I giving them this power? So that, you know, that I kind of let go and pursued the comedy thing. And the writing thing, I think, you know, I've always equated it to being like so, so intellectual, you know, like to be a really great writer, you have to be so smart and you have to have the perfect hold on the language and you have to just like, you know, know every grammatical rule and everything like that. And while I think I'm pretty good at that kind of stuff, I also gave myself permission to be like, you know what? It's going to be more of a conversational tone. 
I'm not, I'm not writing, you know, Shakespeare or I'm not writing anything that's going to like, you know, I'm just, again, I'm writing what I know. I'm writing it in my tone. I'm writing it in my voice. And even my husband, you know, when he was helping me out, he's always helped me out with it. But like, especially that first, you know, I really wanted that first post to be like no typos and everything's super correct. And like, what about the tense here? Is it okay? You know, and and Paul's excellent with that stuff too. So he's he's also uh, like a, like the grammar police and stuff. So, um, and I was like, well, what about this part? You know, there's like some part where I I, I use like a lot of ellipses because it's just like I want it to feel like thoughts, you know. And he's like, it's conversational. Like this isn't like you're not writing a technical manual here. You're writing you're writing your thoughts. It's like a free thinking thing. So. I actually like it. it. It feels like I'm talking to you. And I was like, oh my God, you know, like that, that was, that was what I needed to hear to give myself permission to be like, all right, it's not always going to be perfect. It's not going to be, you know, um, this profound, you know, sentence that's going to like change the world. It's just, it's just what I'm thinking, you know, and it's, it's, I do want it to feel like me. So yeah, it's just, there's so much that goes into how I, like my, um, like squelching those doubts uh, in order to get those posts out there because it happens every week. I mean, I, if I'm being honest, like every single week I go through a cycle where I'm like excited. First of all, I have to be excited about the topic and then I get through it. You know, that first draft sucks. And then I keep rewriting and rewriting. And then I get to that point where I'm like, ah, I think it's ready. Um, and I feel great about it. And then I post it and it's almost like within an hour of posting it, I'm like, why did I that oh my god <laughs> it sucks there's no that part's stupid why did i even you know then i'll go and reread it it's usually like it's not it's not bad i guess i know it's not bad whatever and then all it takes is someone just being like oh my gosh this was funny or oh my god you know like um and then i, then I feel calm you know and then i feel proud that i that i put it out there you know um yeah i mean some of them have been really um tough to put out there. I mean, reluctant stay at home mom for me was, it was the first post. So that was scary. But, um, you know, beyond that, uh, I think this stuff about like marriage and like the relationship between me and Paul has been, you know, kind of the, the scarier ones to put out there. Well, they're, they're really good. And, um, I think the, the tendency for people with a blog or, you know, Facebook rant, like it, it, does come across very conversational and it's not like a lecture and it's just a natural read it's very well done and it like the one you know like for whatever reason like when you post something about improv like there's that little trigger about the marriage scorecard posts like Mm -hmm. it it's not like a, a negative thought it's just like oh like i i like that like it was just well done and I think you know, Ryan Holiday talks about, I forget what he calls it, but it's like the imagined audience. And he yeah. talks about like the high school kid that calls in sick for a week because everybody noticed it. Like we imagine all that stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, I wish that I had the, the drive and the desire to work to write as well as you do. And, and I, for whatever reason, maybe it is improv, maybe it's sales or whatever it is. But for me, the conversation, I, 
I enjoy more and I think faster. And I think maybe that's why I've resonated with this, yeah. but it's just a, a cool, like I, I need to figure out a way to see it more often because mm-hmm. I, I don't, I consciously try not to consume on Facebook. I understand that. Yeah. And I want to like check in and figure out a way that I can get a reminder well, the- you can sign up for it. You can, okay. you can put your email in there. And I think what I'm going to do, because um, <clears throat> a lot of people have asked me that too, because so I have a lot of friends who are like, oh, I didn't see that, you know, and, and it's hmm. because they don't want to be on Facebook very often, which I totally understand. And I need to be, need to be better about that. But so I think I'm going to do like a, uh, like a screenshot and just like kind of circle where it is on the page where you can just enter your email. And then the post, oh, whenever perfect. I post a new post, it'll just drop into your inbox. That's how oh, my husband gets great. it. Because my husband's not on Facebook. So my husband gets it just dropped straight into his inbox. And uh, yeah, so it's great. It's not even a link. It's just the text is right there. So cool. that's I a good, yeah, that. that's a good way to do it. Um, yeah, because I, I, Facebook is such a necessary evil when you're in improv or any theater or, and you know, it, it, that is, I can see the stats. I'm like kind of obsessive about looking at the stats for my, <laughs> <laughs> for my blog. Um, but yeah, I can see where people, where the track traffic has come from and it's, it's 95% from Facebook. So, you know, it's a good tool for that. Uh, but yeah, otherwise I'm like, I need to get off this thing. Social media, such a, it's such a sickness. (laughs) Um, I think good things can come out of it, but I think we're finding out more and more that it's, uh, probably not good for our psyche or our mental health. No. Our world in general, but. Well, I don't know if I mentioned on our first episode or in our conversations, I stayed home with my kids for three years. Yeah, you, you did mention that. Yeah, and a lot of the identity stuff um, that you were talking about, I experienced as well because yeah. um, I would go to, well, there were things that were cut off almost immediately. So it'd be like the the happy hours. Like that's one thing I missed was mm-hmm. kind of going out and just being in the tech center and yeah. then you know, talking about that stuff. I still had those relationships with my friends and that was fine. But what I noticed that did impact my confidence was that I would go to uh, a cocktail party or something and my wife was still working and much like that. Like it, me staying home with the kids enabled her to have uh, a bigger impact in her career. Yeah. And then we'd go to these events and they're like, Oh, and I hate the question. I never ask it. And it just rubs me the wrong way. Oh, so what do you do? Yep. Yeah. Like there's no other question. Like, you know, how do you spend your time? Well, we can get into that later, but yeah. I would say, Oh, I stay home with the kids. And it was kind of broken up into thirds. Like there were some moms that thought that was great. There were some moms that were like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. And then the dudes, you know, especially, you know, in the dick measuring contest that yeah. is, you know, the, the networking events or whatever. It's like, huh you know but i still remember like and it took me a while to sort of get over that and i would have to look for the the motivation that would like seeing my daughter's first steps or just being there after the boy had a tough day in sixth grade or fifth grade or whatever like those moments burn so bright when they happen but they're kind of few and far between yeah and so i totally <laughs> I well, experienced it too. It's a different dynamic when you're a stay-at-home dad, for sure. I mean, at least, you know, with the stay-at-home mom thing, it's like, yeah, I was, you know, I, it was something I didn't think I would ever do. But at the same time, societally, it's it's 
definitely more in, embraced. Because mm-hmm. I did have a couple friends reach out um, who stayed at, who were stay at home dads or were for a period of time, and they loved the post. But they would also be like, "Oh my gosh!" Like it was. I mean, the stories I have about things people have said to me when they find that out, you know, and it's it it gets into so many like. Com- complicated and, and, you know, somewhat toxic, uh, you know, things that we put on men where it's like, oh, you're not a man if you're not earning the money or, you know what I mean? Like this alpha dog kind of or alpha male thing where it's, it's, yeah, it just gets into all that, that, that perception too, you know, and because I remember. Long, well, in the inverse yeah. too, right? Yeah. On women, like if you have three kids and you're not at home, mm-hmm. right? that you're a bad mom by not being at home, mm-hmm. right? So there's that, there's yeah. the the standard, the the reverse the other way. That's true. Yeah, and it, I've, I've been actually a childhood friend of mine. I know he's working again now, but for a period of time he was, he was at home and his wife very successful in her career. And um, so he, I think he was the first one who reached out to me in a private message. He was just like, oh my gosh, like that post was awesome. And you know, the stories I have, you know, <clears throat> so I'm thinking about like having him do like maybe a guest blog because I know he he writes as well. So I was like, oh, that'd be that'd be really interesting because not that I didn't think about it, but I was just like, that is such a great um, topic of conversation. Not that not, no one's ever written about it before, but I just think like that's always something to bring to the forefront, especially as these worlds are continually shifting. I mean, there's so I think it's becoming more. um I can't. I don't think you can say common yet, but it's 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 happening more where men are staying home and women are the ones that are working. And I mean, even I think even in like commercials now, you'll see. I, I was just I just saw a commercial where it was like a laundry detergent commercial, and growing up, that was all women, you know, doing the laundry <laughs> in the house, you know, and in the denim shirt with the white t shirt yeah. open and the culottes. Yeah, and then- <laughs> yeah, yeah. They all had the basic same thing, basically what I was wearing in that Colorado lottery commercial. Um, but it, it, I mean, it, it it's shifting to the point where I'm like noticing. I mean, and we barely ever. I mean, it was, I think only in the mornings do we watch like actual TV. Otherwise, it's never really on. But I, it was a commercial for some uh, laundry detergent, and it was very obviously a dad, and it was just him the whole commercial doing the laundry and kind of wrangling the kids, and so that imagery is also so important for I think kind of shifting the that mindset for the for the you know upcoming generation because yeah i mean growing up that's all i saw was like oh the women at home or you know those traditional things but um yeah no so i think i think um keeping these conversations going and and just not having it be this taboo or like I've always had a problem with the word weird. Like, that's weird. It's like, no, I, I don't know why. I just, even when I was little, when someone would be like, that kid's weird just because he like, I don't know, um, wore three t-shirts, you know, like just like there was, the, there were just things that I just didn't, I never liked saying something's weird. It's just like, okay, well, it's not something you see every day, but it doesn't mean it's weird. It just means it's a different thing, you know? And um, so, yeah, I think, I think that it's, it's, it's such a, as long as there's a presence of a parent at home, it shouldn't matter if it's a mother or father. It's Agreed. You know, it's that it's that security or that companionship or leadership or you know discipline, whatever the case may be. Right, yeah. right, right. And and that was something like so. You know, if you want to delve into that that post the marriage scorecard thing, 
So, you know, it was a post uh, about me feeling like it all spurred from me feeling like, oh, my gosh, I've sacrificed so much in my marriage for Paul. Um, and it, it kind of sparked from this conversation. And it had a weekend where it was like back to back rehearsals and improv shows. And and so Paul for the weekend was pretty much just, you know, with the kids and kind of having to take care of them the whole time. And <clears throat> and so it was a Sunday, it was Sunday night after everything kind of, had, had, you know, died down and I came home and kids were already in bed. And Paul, I could just tell something was on his mind. And so I said, well, you know, what's going on? And he, you know, he's just like, this is just getting to be a bit much, you know. Um, and and so the conversation was about how much time I was spending with improv and sketch comedy and, and coaching. I was coaching at that point, too. <clears throat> and that. Coaching was, improv? Yeah, coaching improv. Um and how much time it was taking and it was just becoming a bit much. And my knee jerk reaction was to be like, okay, well, you know, um, oh, because you had two days over your, you know, you had a whole weekend where I was busy <laughs> one weekend and now you're going to complain about that. You know, um, so that was my knee jerk reaction to be like, do you realize how much time I've been alone with the kids where and how many things you've missed um, that I've allowed you to miss. I haven't given you a hard time about missing because it's for work or it's for the, you know. Um, so that was my like, you know, I just got very defensive in that moment, even though I didn't disagree with him in the sense like it was getting a bit much. I was exhausted and not to mention, except for the coaching, I wasn't getting paid for any of this stuff like improv here in Denver is a basically a voluntary thing. Like you volunteer your time. You don't see anything from it. Um, exposure, I guess you could say, but I'm sorry. Like that's, I don't know what exposure or what kind of benefits <laughs> we're getting from that. So um, that's a whole other topic that um, I have a, I have an issue with, but uh, yeah, it's just, it wasn't anything that I was disagreeing with, but I, my, my first instinct was to be very defensive about it. Because I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, if we're going to play this game about, like, being away, then I'm sorry, you lose. Like, I I, I mean, there, there's just no way you can actually give me a hard time about me being away. Um, and, you know, looking and, you know, kind of looking back at that, uh, that, that, that talk that did not go well because I got very defensive and emotional about it. Late and night, you were tired. Late night, yeah, I was not, you know, and again, we're not great communicators. We're, we're really trying. We're working on it. But um, I get defensive, then he shuts down um, has been kind of what happens. And I get over emotional. I bring up things from 50 years ago <laughs> that he thought, was like, wait, why are we talking about this again? Um I never forget. Um, I wasn't on the Apollo mission. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then Kennedy, what did you do then? Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it always would spiral into these things. And then, you know, even in the moment, I know I'm being irrational, but it's just kind of like within that big bubble of irrationality, I know that there's bits and pieces that I'm not wrong about, but I'm just not com communicating them well. But then it did, it, it, you know, got me thinking about 
the the what's the point of this marriage scoreboard thing first of all you know i i think that there's always going to be i've never seen a 50-50 like completely down the line 50-50 equally you know kids and you know money responsibilities everything you know very equally down the line i mean maybe it exists i've never seen it you know um, there's always going to be a little bit of imbalance. And I think ver- me pushing that back or pushing against it versus recognizing it and then working to maybe be like, okay, look, I've accepted the fact that like I'm the primary with the kids, all the kids stuff, so that you can concentrate on your career and like building what you want to build there. Um, and, and, you know, comparing the time away, I'm just going like, well, you know, his time away isn't partying with his friends. His time away is contingent upon his job, you know, and it's and his success in his job. So it's like, I can't, I can't sit there and say that that's the same as me, you know, granted, yeah, this is something I'm pursuing. I want there to be an end goal of like a, hopefully some kind of career in a creative field. Um, <clears throat> where hopefully I do make a steady income and it, it, it and it is bringing in money, but, um, you know, there's not, you know, you don't, you don't walk into a building for improv and being like, oh, here's the success, you know, here's the planning. If you get to this step, then you get to this step. Then you, there's no <laughs> path like that. You know, like there is that maybe a traditional company where it's like, oh, you become a coordinator and then you become, uh, you know, a senior coordinator, then you become a manager. You know, it's like, you see that kind of, um, what is it called? Succession planning? Yeah, I don't know. What, whatever it's called. But like, you know, you see that that path, um, you know, it's so abstract when it comes to the creative side. And and Paul is actually, he was a music, he is a musician and he was in bands and stuff when we first met. And he was pursuing that dream for a long time. But he himself came up to the decision and was like, well, I got to pick a lane here. And he was always, he was always doing both. He was doing his music stuff, but he was also, you know, uh, in his corporate life too. So, um, for me, it was like I never really got the fulfillment. And it, it was actually doing the opposite. It was like I wasn't great. He was great at both. I was g- not good at the corporate life at all. You know, so it was just like so he support, you know, it's like I the whole he's so supportive of it. But yeah, as soon as it was like about time away, I was just like, OK, well, we're we, we're the, totally imbalanced here, you know. And and then, you know, we I got into the whole like, well, let's I've really altered everything in my life to a point now where I've never felt like I would be like, like, I guess I did always just imagine I'd be working and, you know, we'd both be working. We'd both be doing the kids stuff 50, 50, you know, um, everything would just be 50, 50 and it'd be perfect, you know? And I, I just felt like, well, I've really altered more. Like, I don't think you've had to say, well, I'm not going to do this because of Shivani and the kids like, no, Shivani and the kids have adjusted their expectations in life so that I can pursue this, you know? So that was my point. And through the conversation, once we did calm down and have a better conversation about it, you know, there are things he does that I don't see. He's like, I turned down a lot of trips because I'm like, well, no, that's not fair. Um, I've been away, you know, he's like, if you notice, I don't travel 
more than like once I don't do like more than one trip a month, you know, unless it's completely necessary. And if I do have to do that, I talk to you about it beforehand. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you do. You know, and it's just like (laughs) that's what I mean, where it's like we have to be able to like recognize and I have to recognize in myself that I have shortcomings or, I'm, you know, I I tend to like just see myself as a victim sometimes and that's not fair to him because he has made a lot of adjustments and that's 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 been a reoccurring thing too where he's just like I've gotten a lot better please recognize that you know because there was a time where I was like I wouldn't even give him a hard time about traveling and I would just bottle it up you know and and he would just be and he was oblivious to it he was just like oh she's cool (laughs) you know but then it would come to a head and then he's like, oh, okay, I didn't realize that, you know, this was putting this much strain on you and all this stuff. And so, yeah, with the scoreboard thing, it was like, I don't have to worry about so many things because, you know, he supports us, you know, and then how can that be compared to me? Like, how what what is the the comparable thing that I do for that? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's so, it's, those elements are so abstract especially with, you know, in our particular marriage where it's like, if I, if I think about that, if I try to equate things, if there's like a key, like I say in the blog, like there's no key in the back of a book that says, oh, okay, um, packing the kids' lunches is the same as, you know, shoveling the snow. Like it's just, there's no way to do that. And you can drive yourself crazy doing that. And that was, I think, my, um, my point with that with that post, and it was to help myself, as a lot of these posts are, you know, meant to do, where I'm just like telling myself, like, you can sit here and get mad and and try and 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 keep score and try and be like, well, I've done this more and you haven't done this enough, and you know, but ultimately, what what is that going to is is that going to get you anywhere? And for me, I've I've learned I've been doing it for so long until I had that realization that the comparison thing is just worthless, um, that I expended so much energy feeling like I was this big, like I, w- I was not like a vi- I, victim sounds a little t- too harsh. I think what it was just like, oh my gosh, I've sacrificed so much, you know? And it's like, well, you know what? He has too. Like he, he worked, I mean, my husband works so hard and he puts so much work into it, but into his job. I mean, and, and it's like there, you know, <laughs> If I'm going to be the more forgiving part of his life in the, in the sense of like, okay, you know, I'm not going to like that he's going to take this trip. The kids are going to miss him. But, you know, he also will come back and just like make sure to spend an entire like week home and every night he's home. And you know what I mean? Because he does do that too. You know, he's trying his best to work around his demanding career. But part of his being is that he's got this ambitious you know, these ambitious career goals, which if I made him give that up or, or, uh, you know, say you can't do that, that would make me feel like crap, you know? So, but you know, we're getting better with, um, like saying, you know, uh, really expressing these things in a calm way for me, calm way. Um, like for, it was a good example, um, of putting that into practice was, uh, before like, it was like the last, the uh, kids last week of school, and, you know, there's always a little for stay at home parents, there's always a little bit of like, oh, God, they're going to be home all day, you know, kind of thought, <laughs> little dread, um, like relief that you don't have to get up early and like get them ready for school and the lunches and all that stuff and homework. But like, 
You're crowding me. But also going like, oh gosh, like I, they're going to be looking to me to like do stuff. Um, I, you know, I have older kids, so it's, it's not terrible, but, um, but you know, it, it was one of those moments where I was like, Hey, you know, talked about it. It was nice and calm. I was like, please, please don't forget and keep in, keep in mind that <clears throat> for these summer months, I'm going to have the kids with me all day, <laughs> every day. So take that into consideration when you're considering travel for work. And he was just like, absolutely. You know, and, and, and it's been that way. Like, it, you know, he really hasn't traveled that much. And if he does, he'll try and get the last, pl- you know, he'll, he'll try and like minimize the time away with the flights and, you know, um, and, but everything is a discussion where it's like, Hey, I'll have to go to you know this place, this place, and we have a shared calendar. We're trying to like coordinate our schedules, and we find a way to do it. And it's like I think now that like we're partnering more about that. Like before, what was going on, his travel was just a given, and he had to do it. And then I'd have to rearrange everything about you know, oh well, I had this and this going on, but I guess I don't anymore. You know, so I would have to kind of cancel things or rearrange things or get a sitter, you know, like that was, that all fell on me where he's seen that now and that strain and, and how I had, I've had to scramble so many times because of his schedule, um, that he is now being like, okay, well, let me get a sitter and, oh, this flight changed. You know, I know you have this audition, you know, like he'll, just the recognizing of that makes such a difference, you know? even if it doesn't change the amount of time he has to travel or, um, you know, the, the times where we might have to kind of rearrange things because of work or, you know, he has to work late and we thought he was going to be able to go to an event. He can't, um, the approach of it uh, rather than being like, I got to do it. I, you know, figure it out versus like, Okay, so this change just came in. How about I call, you know, our neighbor and see if she can watch the kids while you drive here? You know, it's like just the working together and 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 partnering on the solutions are, is making, you know, a big difference. And plus when you're, you know, as our kids are getting older, it's getting easier. You know, they're getting right. more independent, <clears throat> you know. So these things these are all just phases that you have to get through. I mean, I, yeah, you know, I'm I have ki- I have uh, friends who have kids who are younger. You know, they're toddlers or they're some of infants and toddlers and and you know they're going through those things I went through before where it's just like, oh my God, why can't he just like understand I need a break, you know? And he just like goes to the gym for two hours without even telling me. And and then I'm just like sitting here going, like, well, I needed a breather, but now I have to wait for him and and his gym routine takes two hours. It can never take one hour, you know, like all these things that I'm like, oh, yes, yes, yes. I remember this issue, you know. Um, and it's that it's it's another it's such a cliche thing. And these things are cliches for a reason. But it's like they're not mind readers. You know, it's like and I totally see the the side where it's like, well, why should why can't he see this? Like, why do I have to tell him that I'm burnt out? I'm like, because you do. Like, I'm sorry. You just. It's great if a man can, or if your husband or your partner, whoever, can see that and be like, you know what? I'm not going to go to the gym today. You look like you haven't showered in four days. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, we're but, not that perceptive. Well, exactly, <laughs> and and that is that is such a big, you know, the whole not a mind reader thing. 
that has been such a help too. Like that, like the example I gave about telling Paul, like, Hey, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, he should know, like I'm with the kids all day, every day in the summer. So he should just know not to travel. No, he probably doesn't. He probably just hasn't thought about that because he has a million things on his mind. So let me say that and express that, you know, before it becomes a combative issue. And so that we can avoid, uh, you know, a tense situation. And yeah, I mean, the the tone deaf um, uh, post that I did, it was, I think it was like a couple, like a couple weeks after the marriage scoreboard thing. It was a total moment of regression for me with everything I was trying to do um, after the marriage scoreboard thing, where it was just like, got to communicate better. You just can't bottle this stuff up anymore. You have to make sure that you're saying it. And um, it was a very specific issue where I had booked a very well-paying like gig. um, And it happened to be on a week, uh, a day where Paul could have been out of town. So it wasn't booked. It wasn't in, you know, it wasn't like 100%, but it was a possibility. And my issue was like, well, if it's just a possibility at this point, why can't it just be a a no from you? Because, hey, my wife has a job that day. You know, why can't that just be your thought process versus what he was thinking? He's like, well, if I end up having to go, then let's talk to so-and-so and and -and so-and-so and and see if they can watch the kids because it was like a full day um, shoot. And in my head, I'm going, okay. So let's say you do go, you're going to be gone that entire day. So I'm going to have to, and we, okay, let's say you're gone that day, that day we figure out some kind of childcare. I'm still going to have to figure out how to coordinate getting the kids to wherever they need to go or uh, preparing everything for the person who needs to come to our house. You know, there's still going to be more on my plate on a day where I would just much rather be concentrating on getting to a shoot. I get very stressed on these shoots because you know, um, in this particular one, I was going to be the only person I was reading a teleprompter all day. I was going to be on a location that was outside in front of a truck and doing like kind of intricate things with products and stuff. So it was like, it was something I'd never done before either. So I was like, and I, you know, these are all things I'm like, you should be recognizing this. Like I'm a little bit stressed out. This is a completely new, there's a lot of pressure on me. I'm the only talent that day. So how well the shoot goes pretty much depends on how well I do, you know? So it was just like, all these factors. And he just kept going. And like, I kept asking like, Hey, do you know if you have to go on this trip? Do you know, do you know? And it just kept bubbling up. Cause I'm like, you could just say to your whoever boss or whatever, like, Hey, Shivani has, um, a job commitment that day. I, I, you know, I cannot go on this trip. Like, and I just couldn't understand why he couldn't say that, you know? So finally that it just bubbled up and I, you know, I totally kind of, I had this huge outburst and I was just like, why, you know, why can't you just be there for me? Like show up for me. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I've got this thing. I've got this job. This isn't for improv. This isn't for some free thing I'm doing. Like this is an actual like legit job that could lead to like more jobs. And you're, you're just waffling on this trip. Like what's going to happen if you don't go on this trip? Is someone going to die? No. (laughs) Like just, are you going to get fired? No. Like it just, you know, it, it just, and he, and he ended up not going and, but the tone of all of that just was, you know, all I, all I needed to say was, Hey, look, 
I would just feel so much better if it was you home versus someone else. You know, like if we, because just think, you know, if I just walked them through that scenario, it's like, even if you're, when you're gone, I'm still gonna have to figure out the coordination of the kids. And I would, I'm so stressed out about this shoot that I would just much rather focus on that. And I would feel much more comfortable if you were home. Like, that's all I needed to say. And he was just like, once I said those words, he was like, yeah, that's fair. I see it now. You know, but instead we had to go through this like terrible Friday where I blew up in the morning while we were brushing our teeth. And then the whole day was so tense. Like every time we saw each other, we just avoided eye contact. And then after the kids went to bed, we just had it out. And then I said those words towards the end of the conversation. And he was like, that's fair. I didn't think about that, you know, and that's all that. If I just said that from the get-go, you know what I mean? Uh, it would have just, I would have avoided that. But so, yeah, that t- it's called Tone Deaf, that blog. It was like, again, me putting it out there. It's like, I regressed. I totally regressed. And I, I just went back to all the crappy things that I do. And I didn't recognize so many of the things that he's done as well. You know, it was like this one specific scenario that we kind of missed. We both took missteps on. Um but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just this ongoing thing with us with like communication and um, and yeah, I've gotten great response from that, too. Or it's just like, oh, my gosh, my husband and I like avoid talking about this stuff, too. We avoid doing that, you know, <laughs> and it's like um, and I'm lucky in, in that. And again, like I'm also trying to be very like conscious of what I'm lucky and, and show gratitude for it, like because Paul is a very logical person. He's very he's very even keeled. So to him, you know, once I, once I put things in a very like calm and logical and like, um, articulate way versus like blubbering and just being like, I don't know, you know, like kind of getting sober and emotional about it. He doesn't respond well to that. He responds well to like a calm conversation. Um, but he also recognizes that I'm an emotional person. Like sometimes I have to go through that emotional blubbery mess and to get to that other side. And I'm sure he hates that too, but it's like, I knew what I was signing up for when I was marrying him, knowing he's this very focused, you know, like intense career driven person. And it's like, well, you know, I'm just like a little bit more emotional, (laughs) a little bit more hot tempered. So we try and balance each other out a little bit. Have you or Paul in your, in your career ever taken a disc profile have you ever heard of that no i haven't heard of that i'll send you a link okay and i don't want to be too bold but i'm going to save your marriage oh (laughs) and not that it's on the rocks but no i think everyone can use something like that (laughs) let me just say that how about i just pull that way back and just go this will help improve the communication that's great yeah. So I, I used to sell this and teach this, and I just talked about this on another episode, but you've heard of Myers-Briggs, yeah. right? DISC is all behaviors. Okay. So the guy that created Wonder Woman and did all this stuff. So it's basically like the questions are, hey, if you go into a cocktail party, do you have to meet everybody or do you kind of sit back and survey the room? Things like mm. this. And so all it is, it comes out to like four components and it's D for direct or driver or whatever. I for imaginative, S for steady or slow, or C for conscientious. Okay. And I have described this as kind of my superpower, my secret weapon when it comes to communication, because I don't change who I am. 
I simply adapt how I communicate a little bit. Yeah. And so if you're, I'm willing to bet your profile is going to be a lot like mine. Mm -hmm. And Paul's probably, if you're, what does he do for a living? He's a consultant. Okay. Like, a, like um, digital transformation stuff. So it's okay. like very technical. Yeah. So process, flow, yeah. yes. details. Yeah. Okay. You and I don't play in that sandbox. <laughs> no. What's that? <laughs> so it just based on the, the story from the tone deaf post, once you got down to the process and the flow and the procedure you wanted him to follow. Yeah. It made perfect sense to him. Yeah. And when I'm communicating to somebody that's very, very logical, I have to get the emotions out of the way first. Yeah. And so that's coming at him like tennis balls from like a a thing. And he's, so you finally, um, through your process, got to a ball that he could catch and look at and understand. Totally. Right. So I'll send you the link to this. And then again, I wasn't like a certified thing, but I taught this at like Valero energy and other companies. But all it is, is like just understanding how the other person you're talking to receives and processes information. Yeah. And you, again, it's not changing Shivani. It's not changing Paul. It's just sort of like, Oh, I have to translate this a little bit. I have to put on like an accent for what I'm saying. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Because I used to rail against people that were super detailed because I would say like the the analogy I would use would be, I got this bonus check. We're going to Paris tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And somebody would say, hey, did you bring your passport? And I used to think they were shitting on my plan and that they didn't believe in it. But I understand now that their detail, their checklist is like this. They want this harebrained plan to succeed. Yeah. And like, oh, you're helping me. Right. So, yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And these are things I'm just kind of stumbling into yeah. where, um, cause, well, because I'm learning too. And it's like I knew I, I was doing this is mostly in my 30s, you know, during our marriage. And I would just really just bottle up so many things I was feeling. And, with with the thinking that ah, it'll just dissolve away, like these 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 feelings of like oh, it's not really how I feel, but I don't want to rock the boat, or I don't want to, I don't feel like I have the right to feel this way. I would just, you know, I would hold it in, and then I would just like hope and pray that these feelings would just like it's like disappear. Um, but um, as evidenced uh, from these most recent like confrontations where like I'll just like bring up things from so long ago, you know, from like our very first month of marriage, you know, like, um, <laughs> or even before, like, it's just, um, yeah, it, it's uh, clearly those things are still inside of me and, and, and it's all just been building up. Um, and it's, and he cares though. Like that's, you know, that's where I feel really lucky where, he doesn't, he doesn't dismiss any of my feelings ever. He's always just like, you know, I can really see him like taking it in and, and probably going through a checklist in his mind or, you know, or just going like, I mean, every now and then he, and, and, and what I'm glad about, cause I know he won't call me out on certain things because he doesn't want a confrontation either when I deserve to be called out on things. And that's what I want. I think 
him reading my blogs and seeing him um, or seeing me recognize these tendencies, which I'm not sure he knew I would recognize all the time um, because it wasn't presented in the best way verbally. Um, you know, once I have time to reflect and I'm just sitting at my desk and thinking about these topics and, you know, he's seeing like, I think, of this view into my brain and emotions that <clears throat> he's appreciative of too, where he's like, okay, you know, I'm not always the bad guy. And, you know, she's, she doesn't see herself totally as a victim either, you know? So, um, because I think too, you know, from my observations and I always feel like an old lady, you know, like when I'm just like, these kids nowadays, you know, it's just like, <laughs> I feel like everything's so black and white, you know, where it's like, and it, again, I, I attribute this to social media and I'm not any better. I'm, I've fallen into this as well. I am on the social, social media platforms. Um, where everything's black and white. It's like someone you have admired or something says one thing that, wasn't worded the right way or and it's like oh my god that person sucks now it's like no like you know can't we allow for some kind of and i'm not talking about the really disgusting things like the bill cosby's or the louis ck's or something but like i i actually use this as, as an example the tina fey thing and she she addresses this in the in her interview with the david letterman show on netflix which is great so I don't know if you remember, but she did um, that sheet caking thing. It was after the Charleston um, terrible thing with the the white nationalists mm -hmm. who were protesting, and then that girl got killed because um, a car ran into the crowd, and she's protesting. So um, yeah, she did a piece for. She came back. They asked her to to write something for Weekend Update, and she did this piece where it was the gist of it was like, you know, she, she wrote this brilliant thing about just how what losers these people are, these white nationalists, how cowardly they are. And then at the end, she said, um, for all of you, because they, they had said like, oh, that weekend that they were going to come back and do more pro, uh, do more demonstrations. So she was encouraging like people don't go out there and protest these idiots. Like let them shout into the into the empty night air and be idiots. Like um, so people took that as oh, you, sh you shouldn't uh, stand up for what you believe. Like that that's how people interpreted her. She And she and she had a sheet cake and she was like, just sit, sit home and eat cake. And it was, you know, she was trying to make it light and funny at the end. And I remember loving it. I thought it was brilliant. I thought, you know, she hit all the right, you know, things and, and hypocrisies about all the different groups. And, and I did not take it as her saying like, even if you're against these guys, just don't do anything. Like, I didn't take it as that, you know. And I took it more of like a, you know, a sheet caking thing. Like, stay home and eat cake. And like, you know, just uh, everyone's so upset all the time now. Like, why don't we just eat cake or whatever it was. Um, she got a lot of flack for that. And I remember kind of getting into it with some friends of mine on Facebook. Like, not like not combative. We were all respectful for the most part. A couple of people. But like, um, people were just like, she sucks now. Tina Fey's the worst. And then they would just like start bringing <laughs> really? up things like, well, ugh, no, I mean, give me a break. She doesn't have to, she's got, she's got probably has like a penthouse in Manhattan with all the money she made off 30 Rock. I'm like, weren't you just quoting 30 Rock last week because you loved it? Like, you know what I mean? So it was like, that's just one <laughs> example of many, I think, out there where it's like, it's this black and white thing where mm -hmm. it's like, 
you're good in my book. And then you did something like that and you suck now. Like, and she talks about it. She addresses this whole thing. So Netflix, uh, that, uh, Netflix show with David Letterman, I think it's, uh, my next guest needs no introduction. Uh, she did great. Yeah. She, her, so she talks about how she, she fucked up the last part of that thing. And she kind of says, you know, she, she, she talks about the kind of, uh, sprint to, from them asking me to do it to me flying out there and writing it on the plane to being on set and doing it. Like it is less than 24 hours, you know? And it, it is like, and she's like, and I have Seth Meyers, I have Amy Poehler in the room. Like we're in my hotel room in New York, like going over all this stuff and like thinking we're hitting it, you know, thinking we're doing everything right. And you can get it as right as you can in that allotted amount of time. I really thought I did the right thing, but I see what they were saying. I see what they, they were, I see why they interpreted this way. What I would have said if I could go back in time was, you know, so she, and she, I think she said what she would have said versus instead of saying, don't go out there and scream at these idiots. And she said, don't, she said she would have said, um, and I'm like uh, paraphrasing here, but like something like, don't fight them the way you want. Don't fight them the way they want you to fight them. And it was like, you know, that would have gotten that message across, which doesn't say don't fight them. But it's like, she's like, I was just like, I don't want anyone to get killed again. Like, that was my thought. That was my intention. Like, I just don't want to see any more good people hurt, you know? Um, But yeah, that was like a big example for me where I was like, gosh, man, people like, it's just like black or white. Like, you can't, you can't make a mistake without it being like, this tar this this stain on your personality i'm sure the people who had such an issue with it um because some people were like yeah i see what you're saying but you know and they were they were kind of citing historical things like with hitler where the comedians at that time like in like during nazi germany like they would make cartoons about hitler and all this stuff where it would almost like deaden the real severity of what the damage he was doing. And so sometimes humor could, or co- comedians could, you know, impact in a, in a negative way, really horrific things that were happening. And, you know, obviously we can look back at that, you know, in this, you know, time and see that then, but I'm going, I, okay, I see what you're saying. And I, I appreciate the historical reference here, but I just don't think this is the example of doing that, you know, um, but yeah, it was, so for me, like, I'm very conscious, you know, just tying this back to like my marriage and stuff, like, um, you can't just, you there, there's so much gray area that has to be looked at where you can't just be like, this has to be this way. This has to be this way. And if it's not either or, then it sucks. Or you know what I mean? Look, or if it's, if it's not this way, it sucks. If, if it's this way, it's perfect. You know, it's just, um, there's just so much you have to learn. And I think it, you know, it does come with like the people I was, I was having these debates with where they were just like really like putting Tina Fey down and saying like, she sucks. And like, oh, she's just like Hollywood elite now. And she's just like this, you know, yeah, she's, she's faux, what they call it, like faux woke. Like she's not really woke. She acts woke, but she's not, you know, like I'm just going like, you guys, I know for a fact, like two of you, cited her as like one of your favorite writers or like we're, we're like praising her for being the first, you know, head writer at SNL. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I don't know. It's like sometimes you just feel like you can't win. And, um, you know, if, if we approach everything like that, 
it's just like, how can you have any relationship with anyone in the world? You know, it's like, it's just going to be impossible. And, you know, like my mom too, you know, it's so funny, like getting older and, and getting, I mean, my mom and I weren't like growing up, like she wasn't the one I went to, like if I had problems at school or boy problems, it was just, you know, she was my mom, but it was like, we didn't have that relationship of like where I felt comfortable talking to her about like my issues, like my problems I was having. But now like as, you know, as an older woman and, you know, she's a widow now, but like we'll get into these discussions and and she's just like, she's very simple advice. Like, marriage is never perfect. Life is never perfect. You just find joy in whatever you can find joy in. Focus on your kids. Focus on, you know, like she was just like very simple, like one, two sentences things. You know, it's just like, yeah, you're right. You know, there's no like. Can you say that in your mom impression? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. There's an impression I can do. Shivani, life is just not going to be perfect. Marriage won't be perfect. Just enjoy life. Do spend time with the kids. Look at your kids. Laugh. Make jokes. That's all you can do. You know, like, she'll just like, like, yeah, you're right, mom. You know, like, there's no need. And, and you know, then it's like, she's, of course, saying this in her 70s, you know, at her point in this life. But I'm like, well, I remember you back in, you know, <laughs> back when I was, you were my age and all the stress <clears throat> you had. But um, that's another thing, you know, it's like, you really should listen to an older generation and be like, uh there's a line from that wine country movie that came out in on Netflix, which was really funny. Um, it's like from one old lady to another, just get over your shit because it's later than you think. <laughs> it's like, yes, get over it. <laughs> yeah. I going back to Tina Fey. I agree. I mean, I know that there's things that I have said in casual conversation and I just watched uh, an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee yes, yeah, with yeah. Jerry Seinfeld. Yep. And it was either Eddie Murphy or Fred Armisen. I oh, can't remember yeah. which uh, guest he had. But um, I know that when I've talked to like anybody in the my, my small local Parker comedic space, and this what these guys were talking about is that comedians can find humor in everything. It was Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I watched okay, that last okay, night. Yeah, thank it's you. so great. Thank yeah. you. And yeah. it's a coping mechanism, right? Totally. And I talked about that with uh, Pete McGraw, who wrote The Humor Code. Mm-hmm. And it's been in survival books. And if you can laugh at something, yes. your brain is reframing it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, and I didn't see Tina's sketch, but my first thought would be she's trying to help people reframe a horrific incident yes. in American history, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't agree with it, but it's like, yeah, get over your shit, right? right? Just relax. Well, and it's like if you know more about that person too, it's like when has Tina Fey ever been, I don't know, like people were making her out to be this like like enemy of the state almost where it was just like, oh, they're, they're bringing in all these elements of what they think they know about her. Oh, well, she's a white woman who is rich and probably is out of touch because she's so rich. And, you know, and it's like they're they're putting all these things that's their it's their own issue. Right. It's it's oh, when people are when people are getting this mad about someone, especially a celebrity who they don't know much about for something like this. And again, I'm not saying things like that are very black. Some things are black and white, like Bill Cosby or, you know, Louis C.K. or Harvey Weinstein, like all that stuff. But like 
like for something like this where it's like you're projecting so much of your issues about society onto one person who, let's face it, you don't know much about, who said something that you're interpreting a certain way. You don't know her intention with it. You know, she didn't say what you're saying she said. Um, And yeah, to your point, it absolutely was a coping mechanism. I remember that time. I remember being scared that there were white nationalists, neo-Nazis, marching like it just didn't seem real and seems real. and then, then, mm-hmm. then that oh, that girl dying and it was just like we were it was i mean there were the emotions were raw you know for so many of us and i think um the the more rational conversations i was having with friends who were like i totally see your point and i don't think she meant it this way but i think we're falling into a danger of like they were talking about like the historical things with comedy and and with hitler and stuff like that and and those were actually conversations that that enlightened me too and i was like oh i totally see your point i just for me i didn't interpret it that way i don't think this needs to be as big of a deal as people are making it to be but then you know, then there was the people were just like, nope, she sucks. She's the worst. Never watching 30 Rock again. I'm never going to, you know, like, it's just like, come on, guys. Like, you just have to, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, it, now we're getting into this. And, and Seinfeld gets into it quite a bit on Comedians and Cars. And I listened to this podcast called Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard. Mm. And he, he talks about this quite a bit, especially when he has comedians on, about the... <clears throat> Like the PC, the overly PC, the overly like, oh, you can't say this. It might be a trigger or you can't do this or, um, you know, he, you know, he has an issue with uh, Dax has an issue with like, you know, I can't do an Indian accent or I can't do what's considered a black accent. You know, I can, I'm safe with doing white European accents. Right. But like I can't. And <clears throat> I struggle with that, too. I would get in debates so as, you know, as an Indian woman, people would get nervous. Like, if oh, my gosh, if someone was on stage, non-Indian person doing an Indian accent. I was going to actually ask you about that. So for me, and again, I'm speaking just from me, uh, my point of view, because I come from, I come to this from a perspective as of a comedian and as someone who's in comedy, I only get offended if it's done poorly. Like, if like it's the a, quality of the accent. Yes. Like, I... I remember, um, so in the 80s, there was a movie Short Circuit. I don't know if you remember Short Circuit. It was a little robot thing, right? <clears throat> The robot, yeah. Steve Gutenberg, I believe, and Ali Sheedy. Oh, jeez. And um, <laughs> I worked at a video store, and I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were two. There were two. I think they made a sequel. Oh, First geez. one was great, I think. I don't know. I probably doesn't hold up. But I remember, <laughs> so there was an Indian guy in that movie or supposedly an Indian guy, an Indian character, I should say. He was played by God, Parker Ste- Parker something. I can't remember his name. But it was a white man in brown face. And no one knew, including Indian people, that he was an Indian for years. In fact, I told an Indian friend of mine like last this rings month. A bell. Yeah, last month I told someone, I was like, yeah, that guy in short circuit? I'm like, he wasn't really Indian. He was a white guy in brown face. She was like, are you serious? Like, it was like the best kept secret. And what was so crazy was years and years later, I believe on MySpace, when MySpace was out, I connected with an old high school friend. In fact, he and I were friends all through like elementary school, too. And he was out in L.A. 
and he saw that I was doing like kind of, you know, some acting and stuff. And he was just like, he reached out. He's like, yeah, actually I'm in LA and I am the assistant to, I have to look it up because it's going to bug me who the <laughs> actor is at the IMDAB app. I can mm-hmm. almost see his face. Yes. Yeah. Uh, short circuit. Let's see. And the little. Fisher rope? Stevens. Fisher okay. Stevens. The little robot looks like Wally a little bit. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 So Fisher Stevens was the white man who played um, Ben Jabituya. <laughs> Ben, I mean, how can you get more Indian than that? So anyway, my friend from high school was his personal assistant, was Fisher Stevens' personal assistant. So we were emailing back and forth, and I was like, oh my gosh, Fisher Stevens, the best Indian actor of the 80s. I said something like this. And he's like, oh my God, he is horrified that he played that character, and he's felt bad about it ever since. And But then he, my friend's name is Mark, and he's like, Mark was saying how, he went, he like lived with an Indian family. It was actually a Gujarati family. So my family's Gujarati, which means our family's from the state of Gujarat in India. And Gujarati is a different language than like Hindi or whatever. So he like, I think he did, he had done like a ton of research and like really wanted. And I'm like, tell him he did a great job because no Indian person I knew, he knew he wasn't Indian and he, his accent was perfect. You know, like I thought it was fine, you know? And this, you know, and, and, you know, now like today, yeah, brown face, black face, that's all bad. Like you should not do that. Like, and especially now there are Indian actors you can find to do this stuff. Like, come on guys. You know, um, I always have a problem with that when they cast, you know, people outside the race to do, it's like, why, you know, there are plenty of Indian actors. There's plenty of Latino actors, you know, it's like just Asian actors, like just hire those people. Um, but yeah, so for, for me, like I, I've been in audiences where I've seen non-Indian people do Indian characters. And my, so I think my rule of thumb is if you're not dumbing down the character based on the race. So meaning like if you're just trying to get a laugh from the accent and doing something stereotypical from about that race, meaning just dumbing down everything. And it's only about the race. If you're playing an Indian guy that works in an office who just happens to be Indian, um, that's fine. If you're not going like, oh, hello, uh, would you like some curry? I made chicken curry. Like, and, and you steer a scene to make it about them being Indian and then doing the accent to get a laugh. No, that sucks. Like, you know, and if you do the accent badly, not into that. But I've seen it where, so my <laughs> good friend of mine, she was in a scene where the her scene partner named her an Indian name, like a very it was like Vikram or something. So I could see the wave of panic on my friend's face for a second, and I probably only I saw it because I knew her. And then she launched into this Indian accent, but she didn't make it about him being Indian. She just was like doing the scene as Vikram, and she was just playing this guy, and and. Her accent was phenomenal, like better than some of my Indian friends can do. <laughs> you know, like this white girl from Michigan was doing this amazing Indian accent. And she made a beeline to me right after, like after the show, I was in the lobby of the theater and she was like, oh my God. she grabs me by the shoulder. She's like, oh my God, was that okay? Are, are you like pissed? And I'm like, oh my God, no. I'm like, first of all, you didn't make it into some kind of like stereotypical dumbed down character. 
And your accent was amazing. And her husband was standing there. And he's like, I've always told her she does a good Indian accent. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm sweating so bad just from doing that. You know, and, and also I've gotten in so many of these discussions. And for if you're a white person and you are doubtful to do these accents, just don't do them. There's so many other choices out there. Err on the side of not being offensive. Um, how is it going to affect your life, really? You know what I mean? Like, I, we used to play this game back in Detroit um, called uh, um, Changing Channels. And it was a short form game. And there's different variations all over. And people call it different things all over the country. But so basically, it's a bell, kind of like a bell game. You're doing a scene. Um, the host rings the bell. Oh, can I get a suggestion from the audience of a channel? Every night we would get BET. Every night. And all the white people's buttholes got super tight. And they were like, oh, my God, how do I do this? And I immediately they'd scan the audience for black people. I mean, it was just so uncomfortable. And I think they eventually changed it to changing styles. And look, and and it comes from this intention of really of a really good place where no one wants to offend anyone. No one wants you know, I think, and I think that's where the, from like, you know, what Eddie Murphy and Jerry Seinfeld were talking about in that episode, but Jerry Seinfeld talks about so much. What's wrong with being offended every now and then? You know what I mean? Like, um, I mean, and, and some people are going to get offended no matter what. Some people are going to places to get offended. I, mean, I, I believe this. There are some people right. whose personalities, they are just looking to get angry. And, and then you cannot, you cannot... Um, conform to that small minority of people. But at the same time, I think there are things that were evolving past, which are great, which especially as a woman in comedy, and again, you know, going back to like the, doing like the ladies jam and stuff like that, where, you know, I don't want to be made the mom every scene. I don't want to be made to be the secretary or, you know, there, there's a very alpha feeling, you know, um, aura of on the stage when it's all men and one woman and she's constantly the submissive wife or or just the low status female character mm-hmm. and that that's just just that that's just a reality of it and i'm not sitting here saying these men are terrible for doing that i think these are the things we as a community have to change together and figure out like Look, they've been socialized to this because they've probably been taught by men, you know, they're improv. And that's changing too. But I'm just, you know, like as more women get involved, but not always involved, but allowed to be in the um, positions to teach um, a different way of thinking, you know, that stuff's not going to change. But it has to be a conversation. It has to be, it can't be a vilifying this person who quite frankly, has been socialized and taught a certain way. Um, you can't vilify them and expect them to change without first recognizing, okay, this is why they're doing this. This is how we can kind of shift this. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I feel like we're really getting there in improv, but then sometimes I feel like, oh, my gosh, sometimes it's just like we're going backwards a little bit. Like even when I was doing the DNIS, um, the Denver's Next Improv uh, star um, there was one time where I was told, like, you know, I'd rather you guys play, like, it was kind of to the group, I'd rather you guys play your own gender on stage. And I was just like, what? So meaning I I shouldn't play a man in a scene. 
But what if the what if the story and what if the suggestions take it there? Exactly. Then, then or you're what if a, I just want to play a dude? Like you right. know, uh, yeah. It was a very weird moment, and it wasn't a like um, you guys can't. It was just like a probably a better idea to do that, so it's less confusing to the audience or your scene partner. And there's so many layers to this whole thing where I'm like, well, I am. <laughs> some people just are. Some people can't adjust to that on stage where it's like. Or they don't allow for it to be an open question until it's established. Or because I've been in many scenes where I'm very clearly playing a male character and then someone refers to me as she or her because they're looking at me and they're right. seeing a woman. You know what I mean? So and then, yeah, it does confuse the issue. So I think that was what this person was trying to avoid um, more so from the audience perspective. But um yeah, it was a weird feeling, and I it, like immediately was like, I, "That's very limiting." I think for me, like, how can well, it's not yes and, right? Exactly, and and yeah, it, it is. Yeah, it's very nuanced and like super layered. But um, I certainly didn't follow that. I kept playing men when I felt like it. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, because me and this other girl on the cast, we just we look like because she's in Broad Squad, and I'm in Notorious VAG. It's like. Well, when we're part of all female troops, like we have to play different genders, right? Like you can't, we're not just going to do all female storylines either. <laughs> so uh, we kind of looked at each other and the person who said it to us, she's like, I was just telling you like, this is what so-and-so likes to see. This is what is better received from the judges or whatever. But, you know, she's just, and she was very like, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying advice um so like she was just naming certain people who might be judging the competition like not that they don't like it they just like oh it feel they feel it can confuse things if a man of a woman tries to play a man or a man tries to play a woman you know and then we also get into i've met you know i we were criticized one time because we did a notorious vag did a set where we were all playing like bro dudes and we were like talking like this, like being, you know, probably a little stereotypical bro dude. But if anybody deserves and can handle being made fun of, it's a white bro dude. I mean, come thank on. you. I'm so glad you said that <laughs> because afterwards we were criticized by a white man saying, you know, that's really like you were really like kind of doing a stereotype and like, like, like. If if a his thing and there's so many issues with this person, but he's like, I mean, if like a woman can be offended about like being portrayed like this by a man, then like this isn't cool either. And I'm like, boo, fucking who? <laughs> like I'm like, I'm sorry, that is not the same. You know, like it just isn't. Thank you. And, and yeah, and, and and back to that thing, it's like we could all just recognize that there are things that we can laugh at ourselves about and we have to if we cannot do that and 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 if it is within our like what Jerry Seinfeld and and, and Eddie Murphy were saying like the comedians together they just can say anything you know and that's that comfort i mean we all need that you know what if if it goes away in like I don't know, sitcoms or whatever the shows are just going to be like homogenized to the point where it's like very vanilla humor. At the end of the day, I don't know, like I, I struggle with like, is this really I think we should be worrying about climate change? Like, I don't give a shit about like, 
okay, we can't offend, you know, a certain race. Like, I, I never want to offend a certain race. I, that's not my intention. But it's also like, I do miss the time where we could just like, kind of rib on them or and, and I'm kind of, Indians included. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lumping my own, you know, uh, heritage in here. Like there were things that I would say it's, it's, and it's just funny. You know, some things are just funny. And, um, I, I don't know. I, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a touchy topic and I've, I've thought about writing it and my blog. Um, and again, I'm like, okay, just come from your perspective, you know, but then it's like that one, that particular subject is one where I can see just like the spears coming in from every angle because for me, I don't get easily offended. I really don't. Like it just takes a lot to like really get to me and offend me. And, but I would never tell that to a person like you shouldn't get offended by that because they have a different experience and they will get offended by that because they might have something that's terrible that's associated with that. So I can't tell someone not to be offended. I can just say for me, yeah, it's not, it, it doesn't get to me as much. But I'm not going to sit there and tell a black person like, oh my gosh, it's just brown paint on his face. It's not a big deal. Like what? No, I can't say, I can't. And I would never, I would never ever think to say that because I haven't had that experience that they've had, you know, like, um, but yeah, like the Fisher Stevens thing from Short Circuit, like, People look back on that and they're like, oh, it's so like cringeworthy. Oh, my God. And I'm like, that's still pretty good. Like, I mean, the brown face. Sure. Like that's to me, to me, like you can't do that now. A, because, yes, it is offensive to like paint someone brown and just say like you're Indian now. Um, But also it's offensive because there are plenty of Indian actors who can take that job and do it well the way they want them to, you know, Um, I mean, I'll tell you one one big pet peeve, and I do find it offensive. And and I love her, Mindy Kaling. I do love her. Um, I admire so much about her. I think she's a really big, big inspiration of mine. But the one thing that I kind of get annoyed with is she'll play. It's not like she's not playing an Indian woman when she's in movies and stuff, but she'll have non-Indian names. And that, to me, gets annoying. Like, I know her name's Mindy Kaling. I know that her real name's Vera um, and... She's got a very long, like, uh, last name, hard to pronounce. So I totally get that it's like the, you know, changing your name. Everyone changes their name in Hollywood, right, to, like, make it more appealing. Um, But my issue was, like, uh, she played Kelly Kapoor, which I was like, why is your name Kelly? Um, I The whitest white girl name ever. Right? And then, like, (laughs) and unless they say, because there are Indian people who are Christian, so um, I've had friends who are named Bobby or Joe, like, and they're Indian, but like, it's because of their religion that they're, they're, you know, they're named like, like biblical, biblical names or whatever. So, um, but yeah, that, that to me, I don't know why, like I get that, that irritates me. I'm like, um, when I think she did that movie late night, I didn't end up seeing it, but um, I want to, but she, I think she's named Kate in that movie. But she's playing an Indian woman. I just, I, mm. I and to me, it's like if, if if it gets explained, then that's fine. Because my, um, my dad, uh, growing up, my dad went by Jay. His name was Janak. But in the era, you know, he just, for the sake of you know the uh, whites he worked with, <laughs> he, um, you know, he just went by Jay. And there was a ton of people in our Indian community who did that. Pallavi was Paula. Nitin was Neil. Like they just people would change their names to make it easier to pronounce. Um, so like in, in Parks and Rec, Tom Haverford is Aziz Ansari's character. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, 
okay, if that's what if that was a character's name in the script, original script before it was cast, change the damn name after it's an Indian person. Like that to me, like when I was cast in Menver, which was this um uh series pilot here locally, <laughs> my character's name was Tammy. And at the first read through, um Marty, who's a creator, really great guy. I I was nervous to even bring it up, but I was like, nope, this is my thing. Like, this is my issue. And I said, hey, um, my name. He's like, yeah, we're changing that. Like, he's like, you're not a Tammy. And I was like, thank you. You know, so I gave him some. He's like, if you wouldn't mind giving me some suggestions of what you think a good Indian name would be. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So I gave him a few suggestions. And the ones we liked um, were kind of similar to other names in the, in the script or whatever. I actually, uh, I said Mira, which is, I love the name Mira. But then our daughter's name was Maya. So I was like, oh, Mira and Maya. And he goes, honestly, I just really like your name. Would you mind just being Shivani in the show? I was like, no, not at all. You know, um, so th- that's that's, I guess, the issue I get on my soapbox about with when it comes to, you know, um, identity and, and stuff in, in in like and being portrayed as an Indian person. I just it's just as surprising to me that someone like Mindy Kaling, who's so proud of being Indian, like that she does that. Like, I, I just don't, I don't understand it. And, and again, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Maybe in that late night movie, she explains why she's named Kate. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, someone can do an accent um, as long as it's not just dumbing down the person and it's not making fun of the, like, it's not making fun of that element of the race, then it's, it's fine with me. Um, but yeah, it's just, just so funny. Like the, the name thing really gets to me. And like, again, it's, it's almost, it's 2019. Like people have met Indian people now. Like we can, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's so mainstream now to like have Indian people around you. It's like, they're all over the place and it's becoming more mainstream in, in entertainment and pop culture. Thanks to people like Mindy Kaling and Aziz Ansari and um, so many people who are really getting, you know, more Brown people to the, you know, to entertainment. Um, yeah. That's my, that's like that sticking point. I'm like, I just don't understand why, like, like be named, like, um, even even if it's like a pretty, I don't know, like a Mon- like Monica is an Indian name. Like there's many Indian Monicas, or like there's so many names that are. I, I understand like oh we don't want it to be too like hard to pronounce or anything, but there's like there's Rena, there's like you know Vera or Mira. You know it's like there's so many names that are very easily pronounceable that are Indian because it's like you're looking at an Indian person. I feel like the name should match. So, well, it adds, yeah. it adds legit legitimacy and depth to the character. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember I worked with a woman Priya um, mm-hmm. and I practiced saying her last name because mine's easy to screw up. People always screw mine up. Yeah. And it wasn't because she was Indian. It's because like, it was a sign of respect to like learn somebody's last name. Right. She could have been any nationality with any last name. Right. But I was just like, well, I, like it when people like try to work mine out and say it correctly and it's, i was yeah. extending that same courtesy right absolutely and and you know <clears throat> growing up shivani desai i mean every time at the beginning of every school year or if there was a substitute and be calling you know attendance that pause right before my name and and you know paul and i have that in common because paul's last name is ignazinski and it's just like this you know deer in headlights when they see all these letters and they don't know what's going on. And, um, what's well, called reading and, you well, yeah, like- <laughs> you know, but you're right though. It is a sign of respect. 
I think it's, you know, I, I, you know, I always ask how to pronounce someone's name if I don't know how, because I want, I want them to know I'm putting in the effort because it is, it's a sign of respect. It's just the most basic thing. I think like, Hey, get someone's name right. You know, it's not that difficult to do. Um, I always feel terrible when I forget someone's name. Like I just, I, that's something I need to work on and, you know, be better about that. But like, um, yeah, I, I can't tell you the amount of times where it's like, and the people, the pe- things people say, it's like, oh my God, it's just, it's really interesting. I just can't see it, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> it's not that hard, you know? It's like, I'm not asking you to like, I'm not making your tongue do something it's never done before. <laughs> like, if you can say Frappuccino, you right. can say Shivani. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, and, and it's my best friend, um, her name's Kavita. And just growing up, everyone said Kavita. It was, it's K A V I T A. And it was just, however, you know, non-Indian people said it. Kavita. Even her Indian friends started saying just Kavita, Kavita. And her, her younger, her brother's name is uh, Manan. So it's M-A-N-A-N. Manan. That's what he was called in school. Manan and Kavita. And actually Manan, it was in high school. So before Kavita made her kind of trans, he's like, no. She's like, you guys know how to say the. Like, it's Kavita. Like, I, she made that a choice. Like, she kind of started correcting people more um, after she was done with school and stuff, like, at, at her jobs. She's like, it's actually Kavita. It's not Kavita. It's a beautiful name. It means poetry. Yeah. It's like, it's so beautiful. Um, but in high school, Manan, it was just, I think it was like his, like, maybe he was like in 11th grade or something. And it was like that first day of school. Manan Desai. And he, like, he, was, and he was like, you know what? My name's Manan. You guys can say that like it's Manan. And it's, you know, it's your identity. It's like you're because you're going by this different pronunciation for what reason to make it easier on these people when it's like, well, wait a second. This is my identity. You know, like it's it's it doesn't seem I don't know. It, it, it's these little things that like little shifts, I think, that um, help people, especially people, minorities to. Um, you have to, you're expected to assimilate so much, right? Everyone is to a certain degree, but especially people who don't like fit in with their skin color or nationality or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, like to you, all you want to do is like feel more like yourself. You know, you don't want to feel like one person at home and another person. So yeah, it was just like, I remember being like kind of proud of them being like, yeah, you should, you know, like Vita and Mana and like, these aren't impossible things, you know? And um, I remember he actually got like a really good response from it. Like his friends were like, oh, man, like I didn't even know, you mm-hmm. know, and he's like, no, I, yeah, I, my name is Manan. It's not Manan. It's Manan. Um, it's a similar that Hassan Minaj It's it's Hassan, like that comedian, Hassan Minaj and Dax Shepard. He was on Dax Shepard's podcast and and he, Dax is one of those people. He's like, I want to know how to say it right. I don't want to say it like the white guy. <laughs> I want to say it the right way. Um, and I've had been many people. It's so sweet. I've had so many people. Like, I know you say Shivani, but like, how is it really pronounced? I'm like, it's actually Shivani. Like, <laughs> you're saying it right. <laughs> um, um, but I, I appreciate things like that. I, I if, if I see an effort to um, show that respect or, or, or see that effort, it, it's it's. I, I, I appreciate that, you know, and and that those are the, the ways we're going to get, 
I think closer and better and understand each other better, like as, as people, you know, and it goes, it goes both ways too. You know, there are many things about white people I never knew until I married one. And I was like, why do you, what's going on here? Um, what's well, a really key point that you hit upon about, <clears throat> you know, just the, the little sign of respect and seeing the, all the social media stuff that people get sucked into. Mm-hmm. And, and this is not going to be shitting on Facebook and all that. But as soon as you understand the social engineering that goes behind that, and then I think it's the lack of awareness that people are even doing that, right? So yeah. you you write something, you get an alert, so-and-so replied to your comment. Dun, dun, dun. So there's a red notification on your app or, or whatever yeah. that you have to, oh, it's red. Yeah, oh, it's red. Someone, someone did something. <laughs> right, so they reply, yeah. right? Um, but... And I, I could actually probably use your help writing this because I wanted to do it from my business account and just sort of say, if you're seeing all this stuff out there <clears throat> that makes you uncomfortable or upset or angry and you want to do something about it, don't post it on your Facebook wall about how shitty this is. Go out and find somebody, mm-hmm. your neighbor or and. And, and um, because we've been talking about Indian culture, it's like go to an ethnic restaurant and just be genuine and be nice to somebody else. Yeah. Just go out and one to one. And it's and I had a boss who used to say like in sales, he's like, all politics are local. Mm. So and this is in the context of selling bikes. Right. Mm-hmm. So if everybody sees this particular brand of something then they're going to think, oh, well, it's everywhere. Because if you see it, if you see six of your 10 friends wearing shoes or whatever it is, or like you look at all the white cars on the road, it's like, no, you're just aware of more white cars on the road. It's Mm -hmm. not any more different. It's your awareness, right? Right. And it's just like, if you hate all the shit that's going on, go out and find one person and just be like, hey, man, that's not me. Just like, yeah. And just bridge that gap and make it smaller and personal and intimate and caring. Yeah. Then what's going to happen is that pedal you drop in the water ripples out and that person's like, oh, yeah, you know, all the shit I'm seeing on the news or social media. It's like, there's one person that was like, nice. And it's like, oh. I know. You know? People, rem- people will, will remember... This is not an original saying, but it's like people will always remember how you made them feel. Yeah. You know, versus like what you might say or something like that. You know, it's just, um, I know it's, gosh, I remember before the social media stuff, I lived at home for a period of time after college. My dad was a news junkie, like, and they never had cable my entire childhood and then went to college. I think it was empty nest syndrome. They needed more entertainment or something. So they, my parents got finally got cable. So he had <laughs> CNN and MSNBC and all that. And for my dad, who's a news junkie before his, his news, like, you know, you'd watch like the news that was on like whatever nightly news and stuff and the morning news. But then he would also listen to like NPR on the radio. But then once he got cable, it was like, he would just be flipping from CNN. He's retired. CNN, M- MSNBC, sometimes Fox News, even just like you just. And I was job searching at that point, so I was like <clears throat> in a bedroom, like pretty close by to the, like the living room where this TV would be on, and just you know I'm searching for jobs online and just hearing it. I'm just going like, my God, it's been an hour, and they've covered 
three stories. Like, it's just like this 24-hour news cycle, mm-hmm. I think, was the first, like, shift in the wrong direction with this, with this you know, information coming at us. And then now with social media, with it, it's like, it's not, it's just 24-hour bitch sessions versus, like, new, like, who knows what's really real out there. And, right. Um, yeah, I just think there's so much crap that's like being thrown at us, but it's, but it's also very focused. Like again, Paul was saying, um, you know, on one of his business trips, he just had CNN, CNN on in the background and he was working in his hotel room and he was like, yeah, I could just, it's like, there has to be more going on in this world and better news <laughs> than this. Like you have just spent like two hours on like four topics that you've had like Three different panels of people talking about and and it's just rehashing the same crap. And it's like and it's all <laughs> negative and it's all gloom and doom. And and it's like, I mean, why do you th- I don't know. Like, again, that armchair expert podcast. I love <clears throat> it. Um, Dax, Dax Shepard is like obsessed with like neuroscience and like just how things are affecting our brains and stuff. So he talks a lot about that. He, he actually reads a lot about it too. So he um, was talking about just like this, the impact of all the negativity we're seeing and then like the increase in depression and mental health. And he's like, he's like, I do recognize that probably more people are comfortable going forward. It's probably a lot of it's always been there. You know, there's people who've suffered for a long time, but it definitely seems like there's more of a spike now. And you know, with social media and people getting depressed because they're seeing this curated perfection on Instagram or, um, which, <laughs> the you highlight know, reels. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm so thankful that like this stuff is coming up at this stage in my life where it's like, I can look at Instagram and I'm not that affected by it. I'm like, Oh, well, she looks good in that dress. I'm not that skinny anymore, but whatever, you know, like I don't sit there and dwell on it, but if I was a 20 or like a 14 year old girl, or, you know, even in my twenties, I would have, dwe- you know, I'd have been like, I have to go on a diet now, you know, like, cause so-and-so like, even now I will still like I, this friend I grew up with who looks the same. I mean, I was like texting with my best friend. And again, this like our little conversations, things I would only say to her. I was like, how the hell is she this skinny stuff? <laughs> like, she's like my age. She's had a kid. She looks the same as she did when we were like in dance together when we were 15. She's just like, whatever, who cares? She's a different body. I don't know. Like, but you know, I do fall into that every now and then, but like, you know, when you think about these young minds that are like fixated on these things, it's like no wonder like the anxiety in girls, especially yeah. girls, <clears throat> has gone up like so much. And um, even with my daughter, she said something. So we <laughs> found out on her last like well appointment that her growth curve was kind of like dipping. So she was kind of getting under the curve a little bit. And she's just a skinny kid. You know, mm-hmm. she's active and. Um, so the doctor was like, Hey, you know, just make sure she's eating like maybe like fuller fat things. And so we got like, you know, we switched her to like whole milk and just, you know, stuff like, Oh, oh wow. You know, I didn't even realize. Um, and so, you know, I'm kind of on her about like finishing her food and, and like, or, or just eating a good meal, a hearty meal. And one day out of the blue, she was just like, I mean, I don't want to eat too much though. Cause I want to be skinny. I like being skinny. And I was like, because I I make it uh, and I wrote about this in my blog as well. Like I'm very careful not to like put myself down about my body. Like I really 
don't want it'll come it'll come from other places i just don't <laughs> want it to come from me right it's going to happen i'm not i'm not thinking i'm ever going to shield her from all that crap but like it was kind of a shock and she's eight you know and i'm like going wow okay so you've already heard like it mean, it's not hard to figure out like oh the more you eat the bigger you're gonna get or whatever but like something somewhere has gone into her brain and it's seeped in where it's like oh if i eat too much i'll get fat and i don't i like to be skinny to me skinny's better for whatever reason you know and it's like yeah paul and i always like we're just when do we give them phones do we let them have social media like i don't want i don't even i'm my my pie in the sky dream is that all this shit will just disappear by the time my kids are like at the age where they want it it's like it'll never happen but i'm like or they'll just be like over it you know like every kid's be like oh my god instagram's so over you know but then there'll be something else i'm sure but i talk a lot about my emotional diet and you know a couple years ago i was very fragile and had to be so concerned about what i was consuming and i don't do the murder porn shows i don't yeah you know it the the uh, reality TV, the news. I don't watch that because I notice that it really, truly affects me. Yeah. And one of my favorite podcasts was the Daily Zeitgeist. And I love those guys because there's a comedian on there and they're they're funny. But, you know, at the end of it, it's just, it's a news item. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like I like these guys. And it was just like, huh. And then the social media side too. I've said this before, like nothing holds up to comparison, mm-hmm. right? And that's what it is. It's the highlight reels on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And you could take this conversation, for example, right? I'm enjoying it. I like spending time with you. It's insightful. It's educational. And then, well, let's see the stats and see how many people listen to this. And let's start just slicing this onion, splitting the atom. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, we only got 100 people that listen to this. And Tim Ferriss gets, or Conan gets like a million downloads per episode. Like, oh, why should we even do this? Yeah. It's like, but you know, we're enjoying it. So it's like, yes. take everything in a vacuum and right. just like, what's real and what's not. I know. Well, yeah. da- I keep mentioning Dax Shepard. I, I do. I mean, I love his show. I feel like he's like my brother. Him, Why don't you marry him, Why don't you go on his podcast? Oh, Kristen Bell's in the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm but, working on it. <laughs> but he's so, he's so open about his flaws and i mm-hmm. love that about him and he talks about what you just said you know because he's made movies like he's now directs and writes you know he has for a while but and they don't do well and he, he openly admits that like he made the, i think the last movie he made was chips and he's like i <laughs> was he in that I he was, seeing... it was hilarious okay was i might be biased because okay. i do love him but it's that silly like, just dumb shit yeah. humor. And you have to go in knowing that, you know? Like, it's a Dax Shepard. He loves action. He loves, like, like like fart jokes. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, but it's the silly, like, I, I don't know. If you're, if you're expecting going in, like, thinking, oh, no country for old men. That's not going to, you know, like, you have to go in knowing it's going to be this silly, like, funny movie. Anyway, I thought it was hilarious. I'll check it out. Yeah. If you, it's perfect for someone who doesn't want something too heavy or just want to watch a movie. But anyway, he talks about how for so long he was so focused on the results. So he would go through all this effort, make this movie, and then it would bomb. And then he would go inward and just be like, 
all that was a waste of time. You know, like it sucked. Like it didn't make any money and shit. Like I shouldn't, you know, people think I'm bad and you know. But then he's training himself now to kind of be like, God, I had the best time making that movie. And oh my God, I learned so much through this process. Um, for instance, with cops, like with the chips thing, I learned so much about the highway patrol or, you know what I mean? I got to know, um, Michael Pena, who I didn't know before. And he's such a great guy. Like, he's like, I am forcing myself to not focus on that one weekend when I spent how long from the beginning to end process, learning to love the process and what you get out of that versus Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, how many people downloaded this podcast or how many listeners? Yeah, it would be great. I mean, I do every now and then we'll post a bit. Oh, my God, I got up to like 6,000 views on my, you know. But it's just, again, it's my thing that I'm trying to get over. And it's actually the post that I've been trying to work on for the last week um, about self-promotion. And like that I'm having trouble. I've always had trouble with like, oh, my God, am I bragging about myself or I'm, or I'm just proud of myself? And because... If I'm being honest, I am fucking proud of myself that I'm I've done this and I've done I've done over 30 posts and you know and I I and on my 25th post um I wrote about that and I was like this is my 25th post and I just noticed that looking at my blog and so I like counted up the words and how many pages it was and I was just like oh my gosh I can I've written this much since October and I'm so proud of myself you know you should be and but that's not easy for me. And I was like, so that's the next thing I kind of want to dive into. Because if I'm being honest, the the well dried up for a little bit for a while. I was like, I have things I could write about. But I'd started so many posts that, and I was forcing it. And again, I was like, I don't want to be forcing something. And it started to get like preachy and stuff. and I, Or not like preachy, but just like it was going into directions where it wasn't flowing. And I was like, ah, this isn't something I should write about right now because it's not there yet, you know? So I did allow myself to like maybe take a couple, like I haven't written a new blog since the end of June, but that's only been because I haven't had that idea yet. And it was flowing for a while and then the well dried up a little bit and I was like, well, do I want to write something I'm not going to love? about something that I'm not very, I don't have a lot of thoughts on just to put something out there or do I kind of wait and and see where the next thing's going to come up? So I decided to wait and see. And the self-promotion thing came up because I just had a scenario that I'll get into in the post, like where I held back because I thought I would be looking to like, like, oh, look at me, you know, when the intention of the, the event I'm talking about was about me but I didn't want it to be about me because I thought people would perceive that as like, I'm bragging about myself. So it's, it's, it's a struggle and I'm going into, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm an actor. Like I'm self-promotion is part of it. Like I have to be confident and proud of what I do and then, and then go into an audition and tell them like, no, I can do this. Like, and be confident and like, like, you know, boast what you can do and be, you know, be proud of that. Um, and like with the freelance writing stuff or just like trying to promote this blog, like I always have that nagging voice in the back of my head being like, who the hell do you think you are? Like, no one gives a shit about you. You know, <laughs> like it just um, or if you write this or if you're trying to promote your blog, people are going to be think you're such a braggy, you know, bitch or something. And it's like, that's not what this is. Like I I have gotten enough, I have gotten enough um, great feedback from this blog to know 
there's some people who really like it and will appreciate more stuff about it. So I'm like, I can't focus again on like these three or four people in my head that are like, probably are saying it going like, oh my God, should I post it again? It's like, who gives a shit about this person? Like right. those people suck too, you know? So, what did you create today? Right. right you know? And so, um, yeah. So it was, it was just like an interesting thing back to the, the Dax thing about like talking about like, don't focus on the results so much. Just focus on this process because you went through this whole creative thing and you created something. Like, think about that. Shift your focus to that and being thankful for that. And then that's what I'm trying. Honestly, that's what I'm, tra- what I'm trying to do every day. Just like, you know, when you get bogged down from watching the news or, you know, some little thing that irritates you about like a neighbor or whatever it is, like, there's so many things to focus on that are good. Like there really are really neat. You know, it's a reminder to myself every single day. And that's how I want to live my life because as I'm getting older, especially when I watch the news and, and, and find out more and more about scary things that are going on in this country. Like I just, I want to, it's like self-preservation. Like I cannot, I can't get too so much in that. I mean, I, I work with some women who are like really hardcore activists and I'm doing my part too, but they live this stuff day in and day out. They're at the Capitol day in and day out and calling their senators and they're doing such amazing things. And I admire these women so much. And I just, all I think about is like, how are you not crying every second of the day? Or you're, how are you not like having to like, breathe into a plastic or a, you know paper bag like every hour like i just know myself and i can i can't i can't do it yeah. i can't dive into this with 110 percent like you guys are like i want to do my part but i can't i i just my heart hurts like i can't do it yeah you know i feel like i should it's, it's definitely an area of of my life where i'm like i'm not doing enough but do I want to be miserable and just be like depressed all the time too? You know, I, I just, I can't disconnect myself. I'm not a compartmentalizing person. I try, but. You and I burn pure emotion, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I have to save my emotional strength. I know it's going to sound selfish, but I have to take care of myself so that I can take care of my family. Yeah. And there's times when, you know, I think if I was faced with that, where if it was, something so important I would be able to do it but yeah I would be drained I would be yeah a wreck after that I mean I remember after I mean after the election and I yeah first month I you know I was I was glued to every news story and everything was going on it's just the craziness and the surrealness of what was happening and I'm like I remember seeing this cartoon or meme or whatever it was saying like I'm torn between wanting to be informed and wanting to stay sane. And I was like, oh, my God, that's exactly like I don't want to be I don't want to disconnect to the point where I don't know what's going on. But I also I cannot keep watching this shit because I I am so like it is affecting everything about me. Like I I I felt so depressed. I'm just in a daze. And, um, you know, like my husband's much more like he. He'll bring up stuff. Oh, my God, did you hear about this? You know, I'm like, no, I haven't heard about it. I, I don't. I can't. I just can't. I cannot. I, um, 
today I'm focusing on going to the pool with the kids. Like that's what I'm focusing on and having fun. Like I, yeah. And, and I feel selfish feeling that way. Um, I'm trying to find a balance where I am like being engaged and some involved in some like, you know, groups where it's like activism is part of it. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's still a struggle though. I'm, I'm trying to find that balance because some days it's like, I got my own stuff to worry about. I cannot worry about like what's going down in the world right now. Like I just can't <laughs> do it. Uh, I give you credit if you can, but oof, not for me. Well, this has been great. Um, and if you ever want to go down the road of Impressionista being a podcast, I'd love to help you out with that. Yes, and- actually, yeah, I wanted to talk about a little bit about yeah. that. So my next phase, I think, with my blog is I think I'm going to record, or I don't think, I'm going to record all my um, posts, complete with voices and emotion with it. Um, and then I want to put that in in each in each post as well so I whatever think, i can do to help yeah and i think you know if someone can't read something right away they can maybe at least listen to it and at the most i don't think there'll be more than like five minutes so um yeah it was kind of something i was kind of excited to do because i've got the recording equipment and i can i don't know i'll probably need your expertise on editing editing and stuff but like <laughs> i think yeah um I, it's not an original idea i heard someone it's called like a uh, blog cast or something but oh. I was like oh yeah because again like I was having trouble thinking of my next thing to write but I was like gosh I really I think it would be fun to record them because you know I do have dialogue in some of my my um, posts and it might be fun to uh, kind of give it a little bit of energy in that way so that's the next phase of Impressionista. <laughs> awesome yeah. I'd love to be a part of that yeah for sure and I'd love to make this a regular thing this has just been totally always enlightening and um illuminating and just um intellectually curious and it's been fun so yeah thank, thank you, you so much. much for having me and i promise not to talk about dax shepherd so much next time it's okay <laughs> <laughs> but listen to his podcast it's really good <laughs> sometimes he mansplains but it's like a brother relationship where i'm like mm. i'll literally be listening sometimes i'll be like dax god don't say don't say that again <laughs> so let's both get on there how about that yeah yeah i think so. And why not us <laughs> why not us yes <laughs> thanks shivani thank you <laughs> If you like this show, I have a very simple and quick favor to ask. Would you please share it with one person who you think might enjoy it? And maybe they've never even heard of podcasting or never listened to one, but maybe help get them set up with how to actually download and listen to content. If you get outside and that's on a bike or skis or snowboard, snowshoeing, or you simply don't like being cold, take a look at the Warm Front Chest Warmer. This is a company I started years ago, and with the help of a great number of people, got this company and this product off the ground. It is a thermal chest warmer, which is a fancy name for a bib. It is handmade here in Colorado by my business partner, Linda, of Polar Tech Fleece. There's two different weights, but The concept is to insulate your core while you're outside. And so like mom always said, put on a hat to keep you warm. Keeping your core warm while you're moving through the cool or cold air, or you're simply just tired of being cold. One of my customers, Sue, doesn't cycle, doesn't run. Uh, She's actually a breast cancer survivor. And she got tired of her reconstructive implants being cold. So take a look. 
Uh, I guarantee it personally. It is handmade in Colorado here, like I said. And uh, it's been a fun venture. It's still growing. It's still going. But take a look at thewarmfront.com. That is T-H-E-W-A-R-M-F-R-O-N-T.